Remember uh, when I was a kid, one of my favorite moments every year would be uh, Christmas morning, and I don't know what your traditions were as a kid. Uh, I don't know if that was a positive experience for you or a negative experience, but in our house, it was amazing. And um, my siblings and I, we'd wake up, and like most kids, for whatever reason, on Christmas morning, we didn't need an alarm clock. We just woke up like nine hours earlier than normal. And so... Like 2.30 in the morning, our eyes are open, we're like ready to go and we like rush into the living room and all of the gifts are there under the tree and then we're trying to, to shake our parents out of bed and we can't figure out why they lack the joy of the Lord, you know, in, in that moment. And so, you know, they'd get up and we'd sit around the tree and we'd start opening all of these gifts. And, and I remember as a kid, uh, I would always feel just a little bit of despair for my parents because, you know, as kids were opening up all these amazing gifts and then... From my perspective, my parents are opening up all of these lame gifts. You know, my, my dad's opening up another pair of socks and, and a sweater, or, you know, my mom opens up just a little note that says, you know, that oven we bought last month, you know, Merry Christmas. And, <laughs> and there's this just big, like, big difference. You know, we were getting all of these gifts as kids that we wanted, and our parents were getting gifts that they needed, and... And sometimes those two things are the same. Sometimes you get gifts that you need and you want. Sometimes you get gifts just that you want but you don't need. But when you get a gift that is both, it's amazing. And I was reflecting on that all week, you know, because the reality is there are moments in our life when we're walking with Jesus and he gives us gifts that we need, but maybe they're not gifts that we want. <laughs> he gives us the gift of peace. And it's like, you know, you're giving me that gift because I don't have it. <laughs> I know I need it. You know, he, he gives us the gift of patience. It's like, I know I need it. I don't want it. I don't want a circumstance where I need patience. He, he gives us the gift of extending mercy. He gives us the gift of extending forgiveness. He gives us the gift of persevering or enduring. All of these are good, amazing, beautiful gifts that we need. But at times, it's like sitting around a tree opening up something you know you need, but you don't actually want because you don't want the circumstance that requires it. But then there are these other moments where Jesus puts something under that metaphorical tree and you know you need it. And it's not just that you need it, you know you want it and you just can't get enough of it. And those are the kinds of gifts that you just go, man, hey God, I wanna do whatever it takes to get there. And this, this morning we're hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit gonna unwrap one of those gifts that, that not only do we need it, but we want it, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Your unbelieving neighbors know they need this and want this. Your unbelieving coworkers and family members and uh, friends, they know they need and want this gift that Jesus has put under the, the, the tree for us. And it's the gift of permeating, endurable, unshakable, otherworldly joy. It's the thing that in your human spirit, I'm convinced the taste buds of your soul salivate for this. You know, I want it. I long for it. Every normal person, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it, like every normal person wants joy. But sometimes it feels really elusive in the world that we find ourselves in. In fact, all week long, I found myself reflecting on this gift of joy and over the last 24 to 48 hours, it's like everything in my world keeps testing my hypothesis of joy. And so all week long, I've just been thinking about joy and where it's found and what it means. And then kind of like all of you in, in the midst of Friday night, those storms came through and, and my sleep was disrupted. 
and my joy was tested. And then I look out my backyard yesterday and my neighbor's tree has fallen down and destroyed our fence. Not my tree, but my neighbor's tree. And it wasn't my neighbor that came and chainsaw that tree up. It was us that got to do it. it. You know, it wasn't my neighbor's weekend that was disrupted. It was mine, right? And my hypothesis on joy was tested. Our power's out. <laughs> Things feel more complicated. I know these feel trivial. We get done cutting up the tree, and one of my sons starts complaining about his stomach and his leg is hurting. We don't know what's going on. And next thing we know, he's down in the emergency room with Sydney and find out he's gonna have to have surgery this week and, you know, for, a, for a hernia. And it's like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. Testing, testing this thing that Jesus says, I wanna give it to you. <laughs> it's here. I love John chapter 15, verse 11, as Jesus and his disciples are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane in this really trying moment where the world's hypothesis of joy is being adequately tested and stretched to its point of breaking. Jesus looks at them in John chapter 15, verse 11, and he says, hey, the joy that I have is the joy that I want to give to you, and I want it to grow to fullness in you. He speaks to both his quality of joy and his quantity of joy that he wants to put in them forever. He says, this, there's this thing that I have for you that the world can't take away. And this is what I love about the story that begins to unfold for us in the journey of Advent is, yes, it promises hope, and yes, it promises peace, and yes, it promises love, but what it also sets forth for followers of Jesus is this joy that cannot be taken. And so as followers of Jesus, by the grace of God, we can go, hey, you can take our job, you can take our relationships, you can take our health, you can take our comfort, you can take our, our time, you can take all of it, you can take our life, but you can't touch our joy because it's not rooted here. And the world begins to look at you and go, what is wrong? <laughs> what is it that you have? And you go, it's not what I have, it's who I know. And who I know has given me something that the world can't fundamentally steal. And so this morning we're gonna wrestle with this gift of joy, but to do this, I wanna start by just defining the difference between happiness and joy because sometimes we use words that that sometimes feels so interchangeable, it can get confusing. And so here's the way that I would define happiness, if you like to take notes. Happiness is the feeling of gladness that is rooted in a favorable circumstance. It's gladness that is rooted in a favorable circumstance. Happiness, it's amazing, it's a good thing. It's what you feel right after you get that unexpected promotion. It's the thing that you feel right after that first kiss. It's that thing that you feel right after a great meal with good friends. It's the thing that you, you feel on a, a Christmas morning with your loved ones or when your team hits the game-winning shot and just sticks the dagger in that team that you hate with a passion. You know, it's, it's that feeling of gladness that just stirs up in you when circumstances circumstances are going the way that you want them to go. Happiness is what I was feeling Thursday morning. Our family, you know, we've been out of pocket the last couple of weeks. We've been sick and in quarantine and, you know, five extroverts, you know, away from the world. That's a, that's a tough thing. We were missing everybody like crazy. And Thursday morning, we got out of jail and we were excited and, 
And I wake up early to, to go have coffee with a dear friend that I hadn't seen in a while at one of my favorite spots. And I see the sunrise as I'm driving to meet him. And I don't know if you saw the sunrise on Thursday morning, but it was gorgeous. I mean, God was showing off, just painting in the sky. And I'm, I'm driving to sit down with my friend and we have this great conversation and great time together. And I'm driving back and it was just, it was just this bubbling up of just happiness. Every circumstance in my life was favorable. And happiness is so beautiful. Here's the problem with happiness, though, is it's fleeting. <laughs> and just as fast as it comes, it goes. If it's gladness that's rooted in a circumstance, what does it take to destroy your happiness? Just another circumstance. And so there I am in this, like, bubble of happiness, and then I get this phone call from Sydney, and she said, hey, your dog, you know, when it starts that way... <laughs> I'm like, this isn't going good. She goes, hey, you know how I asked you to put the mulch, those bags of mulch in the shed, you know, two days ago? And I'm like, yeah, now it's all clicking. <laughs> and I forgot to do it. And she said, your dog's destroyed the, the yard and has torn up all those bags of mulch. And immediately, happiness is destroyed. Happiness is gone. In a totally related note, this is a picture of our dog. You see this? Yeah, oh no, no, don't do that. If uh, any of you are looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, for, for, he's free to a good home. In fact, it doesn't have to be a good home, to any home. Like, uh, so, no, so happiness, happiness is gladness that is rooted in favorable circumstances. It comes quickly, and it leaves just as quickly. But joy, joy, joy is gladness that is rooted in awareness of God's grace. Not just a circumstance, like who God is, what God has done, what God is gonna do again. In fact, the, the word joy in the original language of the New Testament is the word kara, which is uh, related to the word charis, which is grace. Kara is joy, so it's literally joy is gladness that is rooted in or growing from or flowing from this awareness of who God is, what God has done, his, his work, his purposes, his promise, his life. It's something that can't be fundamentally taken from you. Because no matter what you're in in this moment, there's this sense that your joy elevates beyond the circumstance you're in, whether it's good or bad, and that joy is still on the table. And you see this all throughout the Advent story. And I could give you reference after reference after reference, these moments, whether it's Mary interacting with Elizabeth or the wise men seeing the star or Simeon and Anna in the temple, moment after moment after moment where the, the people find themselves in the revelation of the realness of God and the way that the moment is described is joy. Joy is here. It's on the table, permeating, durable, unshakable, joy. This is what's put out in front of us, Luke chapter 2. I just want to read through the whole story together. Just follow along, starting in verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, so much we could talk about here, but I just want to make note of this. Luke is saying, hey, this is not just 
a sweet spiritual story. It's not a spiritual fable, myth, or tale to make you feel better about your hard life. He's saying this is a real moment that happened with real people in a real place in real history. He is pinpointing it in the human story for us. Verse four, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of King David, because he, he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth. She placed him in, ma- in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so there's this moment where Jesus, the fullness of God, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, is breaking into the human story in the most lowly and humble ways that you could possibly imagine. And all of these prophetic promises and foreshadowings are coming to bear here in this moment that Luke is describing. It keeps going like this, verse eight. Just outside of the town of Bethlehem, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I am bringing you good news that will cause great, somebody shouted out, that will cause great, Yeah, great joy. There's that word again. Something's being proclaimed, something's being revealed. It's it's gonna bring you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior's been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which is just as they had been told. This is the word of God out of Luke chapter two. All of these things that we could explore, but for the next few minutes, I just want us to wrestle with, how does heavenly joy begin to infiltrate, saturate, and fundamentally change the story for people that are following Jesus? How does that begin to happen Practically, and there are all of these, these pictures of the way that joy begins to infiltrate the human story here in Luke chapter two, just kind of five quick observations that jumped out to me as I was sitting in this story all week. And the first is this, is that heavenly joy begins with a supernatural revelation of Jesus. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but I don't, I don't wanna skip over this. It is possible for you to not know Jesus and experience deep worldly happiness. That's so possible. It's possible to have joy through the world's eyes that's connected to your favorable circumstances, but the thing that Jesus puts on the table is birthed in the revelation of who he is, what he's doing, and what he's gonna do again. Those two things are fundamentally connected. Look back at verse 10 with me. The angels pop onto the scene and they bring this declaration of good news that is gonna cause great what? Joy. It's gonna say, hey, listen, shepherds, your circumstances haven't changed yet. You don't have a new job. You haven't been given a raise. 
The family situation hasn't been fixed yet. The cancer hasn't been eradicated. None of the circumstances that plague the brokenness of your world have yet been fixed, but there's this proclamation about the character of God, the work of God, and the nature of God that is opening the door for unending, permeating, durable joy. And the joy that Jesus is gonna offer, it is found first in the revelation of this declaration that God has drawn near. And I don't want us to miss this. Is that heavenly joy, it begins with a supernatural opening up of the heart towards God. I remember when I was 16 years old, I'd heard the story of Jesus thousands of times, but something happened when I was 16 by the power of the Holy Spirit that moved it from information to revelation. Something opened up in my heart and I went, oh my goodness, this is how much God loves me. This is how much God knows me. This is what God is doing. And I don't know how to explain it, but it was as if my heart had opened to a reality that had always been on the table, but I'd just never seen it. And this is where heavenly joy begins. It's the only thing some of you need to pray for your unbelieving family members this year. (laughs) Is that God would literally part the heavens, that he would open up the hardness of the heart for them to see the glory of what has been in front of them all along. Heavenly joy begins with the revelation of Jesus. Second thing though is, it doesn't just begin there, it begins to permeate the ordinary. Heavenly joy This is not just some ethereal feeling, you know, that you have, like where you walk through Target with just a little more pep in your step than everybody else. You know, heavenly joy is not just that kind of painted on smile. You got in the argument on the way to church, but you got in the parking lot and it's like, now the joy of the Lord. (laughs) It's called hypocrisy. (laughs) It's not joy. Heavenly joy, it permeates the ordinary. It's useful, it's real. I love it, look back at verse eight. It says the shepherds, as they were watching their flocks at night, ordinary moment, just working the night shift. If you've ever worked the night shift, it stinks. (laughs) It's tough. You know, they're not on vacation. They're not with their feet kicked up at the beach, having a corona moment. They're not there in a monastery. They're not there in the midst of a, praise and worship concert, just ordinary, ordinary moment. This is what's so beautiful about the heavenly joy that Jesus puts on the table is it is unbelievably useful and practical in the everyday. It's not contained to the Christmas season. It's not contained to just simple moments. It begins with Jesus. It begins to flood all these ordinary moments. Every year in the spring, I'll take my little Honda push mower uh, to the same guy out in Franklin. He'll, he'll, he'll give a tune up on the mower. Maybe you've heard me talk about this guy before and he's just amazing. And he meets all of his customers in the parking lot of Lowe's out in Franklin and it, it seems kind of shady. He's like, meet me in this corner of the parking lot and you show up and, and I only take cash, you know, and you show up and you give him the mower and he gets out just covered in grease and, and he, I kid you not, he's just, he's singing worship songs, working under mower and, and testifying to the goodness of God. And, and this guy just permeates the joy of Jesus and everything about his moment is so beautifully ordinary. Right where he's at. He's not traveling Europe. He's not hanging out with his grandkids. He's not eating a nice steak dinner. All of those things are great. He just has something that's far more durable than that. 
It's what Jesus is just putting out on the table here. It's this joy that's birthed in the revelation of who he is. It's this joy that permeates every ordinary situation. Number three, it's a joy that so often requires a journey of faith. Requires a step of obedience. See, joy, it it meets us where we are, but it almost never leaves us there. Joy beckons. It says, okay, come on, come search this thing out. Come investigate. Come wrestle for yourself. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Find out if, if this is really, really what God is doing here. There's this beckoning, there's this longing, there's this, there's this calling. It's, it's what you see with the shepherds in verse 15. They get this announcement. They get this announcement and, and, and what do they do? It says, they go, hey, let's go see this thing that's happened. Let's go travel. It's what the wise men did when they, see the, they saw the star. They traveled for 40 days in one direction to, to get there. That the joy that Jesus puts out. Man, it starts with Jesus. It meets us in ordinary places, but so often it beckons us into these journeys of faith and obedience that requires us to move from where we are towards what it is that God has called us to. I love the way that Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 20. For those of you that are in a season of suffering, this may be the water that your thirsty soul needs right now. In John chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus says, right now, you're gonna be in a season of weeping, of sorrow. He says, but in the morning, I'm gonna turn it into joy. It's gonna be a process. And you're gonna have to keep walking with me. You're gonna have to stick with me. You're gonna have to trust me when joy seems hard to come by. Permeating, durable, supernatural, otherworldly joy. It begins with Jesus. It permeates the ordinary. It so often requires a journey. Number four, it can't be contained. It can't be contained. I love this in in verse 17, after they encounter Jesus, they encounter Jesus and it says they go out and they're like, hey, we just gotta share this with everybody. See, I'm convinced that evangelism, sharing your faith, witnessing whatever language you wanna use, it's not so much a Christian duty or obligation or practice, it's just the natural byproduct of someone that's been infused with heavenly joy. We share what brings us joy. Nobody's ever had to convince me, hey, Dave, would you just tell me one more story about your kids? (laughs) They bring me joy. There's this thing that happens in followers of Jesus when we encounter the reality of who God is and what God is doing and what God has promised he's gonna do again that begins to bubble up within us and it can't be contained. It starts with Jesus. It permeates the ordinary. It beckons us to a journey of faith and obedience. It cannot be contained. I'll give you one more, number five. And it grows to maturity as we learn to treasure and ponder Jesus. How does joy grow? It it grows as you learn to treasure and ponder Jesus. Look at verse 19 with me. I love this description of Mary. After all this happened, It says she treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. You know, there there are moments when Sydney and I will will sit in our bed at night and we'll just look at old pictures and videos of the kids. And we're like, oh man, I forgot that Jack's voice sounded like that when he was four. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Like, 
Oh, I forgot that Micah looked like that. Oh, I, I forgot that Judah went through that phase. Like, you know, we'll, we'll go back and we'll, we'll ponder and we'll think and we'll treasure. And something happens as we do that. Affection just stirs and grows in us. It's what happens when you sit down with your college roommates and you reflect back on those same old stories. You've told them a hundred times. Every time you get to dinner, you tell the same stories. Why? Because when you treasure something, it grows. Affection stirs. It grows. Something happens. And this is how joy works. As you stop, as you ponder, as you treasure the reality of Jesus that he's come near, that he's forgiven, that he's redeeming, that he's restoring, and that one day he is gonna return to wipe away every single tear to make all things new. The more you ponder that, the more your joy grows. And here's the reality is wherever joy is lacking, it is probably the evidence of a place where grace has been forgotten. (laughs) Where your joy has grown strangely dim, it is because you have lost sight of the unmerited kindness and grace and goodness of God in whatever that circumstance is that you're facing. And I'm convinced, guys, in a world that's marked with hopelessness and despair and anxiety and fear, maybe our greatest witness as a people is to live out tangible, heavenly joy in ordinary moments of life. It might be, it might be the greatest witness the church has in the moment we find ourselves in. You know, earlier this week, I was as reading uh, the news, which uh, never brings me joy. <laughs> now, I was reading the news, and there was this statement from the Surgeon General. Maybe, maybe you saw this, but the Surgeon General, who doesn't typically come out and make very many statements, was just talking about the mental health crisis that has just multiplied so rapidly in our nation, especially over the last two years. And he's talking about just the increase in suicide and suicidal ideation and depression and anxiety and just a number of of mental health disorders. And he made a statement that was really stunning to me. He said, in the midst of the pandemic, we've traded one health crisis for another one. And he's talking about just the, the rapidly increasing mental health crisis that's facing, especially the next generation. And then he begins to diagnose why it is that he thinks we've come to this moment. And he begins to describe the way that happiness has become so elusive in our current cultural moment. And he begins to describe things that uh, are so hard to come by. And uh, I wanna be very clear. Um, I think so much of what he's saying is really true. There's a real obvious connection between some of these things. But I believe the fundamental hypothesis of it falls short of what it is that God is calling us to. And the Surgeon General is just kind of at the end of the day saying, no wonder our mental health is where it is because our circumstances are where they are. And Jesus, in the midst of all of that, says, hey, in this world marked with suffering, heartache, sorrow, pain, sadness, circumstances are outside of your control. I wanna give you something that those circumstances can't ever take away. And it's not just happiness, although happiness is wonderful. It's not just gladness that's rooted in favorable circumstances. It is gladness that is anchored in the unchanging reality of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is gonna do again one day. And I believe this is what Christ is calling us to keep cultivating our hearts for as we look towards the moment of his second advent. Hey, Lord, root me 
in the realness of the story. <laughs> Show me where it is that you're coming. I see this in so many beautiful ways in the midst of our church. I can tell story after story. I'll just give you two very quickly. I think back uh, to one of my friends in our church. His name's Luke. And back at the beginning of the pandemic, Luke lost his job and, and circumstances were so challenging and in the midst of that, uh, he and his son had to move out of their house and into an apartment. And all, all of these circumstances j- just felt so challenging, so overwhelming. And yet in the midst of it, if, if you had talked to Luke, he just was radiating heavenly joy. In fact, right before the pandemic ha- happened, right before he got fired, he, he got baptized in this room, just like 10 feet in front of where I'm standing right now, gave his life to Jesus, filled with the spirit of God. And then it's like all of his circumstances begin to fall apart. And then you'd hang out with them and you talk to them and it just, the joy of the Lord is just, just coming out of them. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm bummed about the job. He goes, but man, getting fired has given me all of this time and I've been able to just dig into the scriptures and I'm getting to know the Lord in brand new ways. And, and you know, having to move out of that house, put us in this apartment and there's all of these people that we've gotten to meet and share our faith with and testify that. I, and he's just telling story after story and all of his friends are like, bro, are you crazy? Like, are you high? What's wrong with it? Like, People don't know what to do with this guy. It's just heavenly joy. Does he ever get discouraged? Absolutely. Does he ever get sad? Of course. But what God has given him is more durable than the moment he finds himself in. Or think about one of our dear sisters here at church a couple of weeks ago gets diagnosed with stage three cancer. Scary prognosis. Scary journey in front of her. Lots of question marks. Lots of uncertainty. Friends are worried, coworkers are worried, family members are worried, and yet in the midst of it, she's got this permeating, durable, unshakable joy. People don't know what to do with her. They're like, what's going on? Are you in denial? You know, people are trying to sit her down. Hey, do you really know what you've been diagnosed with? She goes, yes, I do. She goes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Where's that come from? It comes from unwrapping this reality that as followers of Jesus, you can take our jobs, you can take our health, you can take our relationships, you can shake our circumstances, but you cannot take our joy because our joy is rooted beyond us. And it's so fitting to me in John chapter 15, as Jesus is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's gonna be brutally beaten, arrested, sent off to be crucified, Jesus walks, and under that full moon, he stops, he looks at his disciples, he goes, hey, this joy that I have right here is what I wanna give to you. And I wanna work it out in your life until it is fully complete. That's the gift you need and want. (laughs) And it just comes in Jesus. And I just just wanna ask you, how, like literally, like how's your joy? (laughs) How would the people that are closest to you answer that question for you? Are you marked by joy? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I I wanna say this so simply, don't chase joy. Chasing joy will leave you wanting. It'll leave you disappointed. Don't chase joy, follow Jesus. In John chapter 15, six times in 10 verses, Jesus is gonna say, abide in me, remain in me, walk with me, obey me, and then let me take care of producing joy in you. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, today, it's your moment. Don't miss the opportunity 
to align your life with Jesus, to surrender to Jesus, to be filled by the spirit of Jesus, to be baptized into Jesus, and then let him deal with the proposition of producing joy in your life. So in a few moments, there'll be some men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, help you take those steps of obedience to receive the, the gift of Christ, and we'll let him do the work of joy. For those of you that are followers of Jesus this morning, I just wanna challenge you, don't miss the moment that we're in. Don't miss the season. Don't get so caught up in the cultural understanding of Christmas that you miss the invitation to slow down, to sit, to do what Mary did in verse 19 and to just ponder, to just treasure, to just think about Jesus. If you've missed Advent up to this point, it's not too late. You know, every morning as a family, we sit down at our table, we'd light a little candle, have breakfast. We, we read the story again and we just think about it. We just treasure it. Some mornings it feels really meaningful and amazing. Some mornings there's spilled orange juice and milk and tears and all of, it's, it's like, I don't wanna make it more amazing than it is. I'm just telling you, something happens when you say, I'm gonna slow down. I'm just gonna keep remembering. I'm just gonna keep treasuring. To just make some space in this season amidst all of the holiday parties and all of the things to go, okay, Lord, I just wanna stop and I just wanna recount every moment of grace because we know as we treasure grace, joy grows. In fact, this is the reason we end every time a teaching, every Sunday at Ethos, we take the bread, we take the, the cup, and we share the goodness of God together. Some of you grew up in a tradition where you referred to communion as Eucharist. Right there in the middle of that word is that same word that we get the word, from joy for, the word for joy from. It's this Thanksgiving meal. It's this meal of grace. It's this understanding that as we sit together and as we reflect on the way that Jesus has redeemed and forgiven and saved and that he's going to come again to make all things new, as you share that out loud, as you break the bread and as you take the cup, Jesus does the work of producing joy. And so that's what we get to participate in this morning. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us and uh, at any point over the next 20 or 25 minutes, if you wanna receive prayer, there's gonna be some men and women at the Respond Banner. You can literally just get up from your seat, go over there. We'd love to pray with you. If there's some circumstance in your life that is challenging your understanding of joy, we'd love to pray for you. If you want to take a step or give your life to Jesus, we'd love to help you do that this morning. If, if you just need a fresh revelation of God's grace in your life, we'd love to pray. So there'll be some men and women to pray for you. For the rest of you, I'd encourage you, get in groups and we're gonna take some time to just take the bread and to take the cup and to reflect on the goodness of God together. And then we'll let God do that work of producing joy in us. So let me pray and, uh, and, and we'll take communion together. Father, we love you. And I thank you that this is more true than we know. And so God, this morning, as we receive the elements, as we take this bread that represents the body of Christ broken for us when we were totally helpless, as we receive the cup, as we reflect on the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us to forgive every sin, to, to, to give us hope in a hopeless world, God, as we think about your goodness, would you just take care of this work of joy in us? And then God, would you send us out in such a way that people will look and go, man, what do you have? And that we could testify to who it is that we know. God, this morning, would you call people to yourself? Would you turn sorrow to joy, mourning into laughter? God, would you do what only you can do in the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks, amen.